How many of you want to be a better husband? If it took you 10 seconds to figure that out, let's try it again. How many of you want to be a better husband? How many of you want to be a better wife? How many of you want to be a better child or teen or whatever? Yeah, get your hand up, Micah. That's my kid right there. How many of you want to be a better leader? How many of you want to be a better Christian or a better believer? Now listen to this statement I'm about to make. A man or woman that makes God's word a priority in his or her life will become a better husband, a better wife, will become a better mother, a better father, a better leader, and a more effective Christian. Now, I want to talk to you this morning for a little bit, and if, if it goes too long, we'll continue next week. But, you know, these are some things I wanted to share with the man, but like I said, it's for everybody. This morning, I want you to understand, and it, it's just, it's hard to do this in, in 30 minutes, but I want you to recognize the importance of the Word of God. The importance of God's Word. Look at John chapter 1. We need to, as believers, learn to esteem the Word of God highly. And so this morning as I preach and as I teach, this isn't just for you, but it's for me too. It's for all of us. Look at your neighbor and say, it's, it's for all of us. John chapter 1 this beautiful passage of Scripture about the eternal Word of God. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. We could read it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through the Word. And without the Word, nothing was made that was made. In the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. I want you to recognize the importance of God's Word this morning. And it's not that you don't. As believers, maybe some of you have been believers, been Christians for a number of years, and you understand this is the Bible, this is the Word of God. But sometimes we can get distracted, sometimes we, we can, you know, and I'm guilty of this, you just don't esteem or hold this book as something that's relevant and important and vital to your life. No matter what your age is here this morning, You need the Word. I need the Word. And if we're going to be effective in these end times, we can't do it without the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the living Word of God. You 
you and I are, you can't separate God from his word. They are one and the same. Say that with me. You can't separate God from his word. They are one and the same. God's word and will are the same. A lot of people say, I I just don't know the will of God, what I'm supposed to do. Well, then find the word and you'll find out his will for your life. It's that simple. You can't discover the will of God, the vision of God for whatever you're going to do without the word. You need it. Look at Psalm 103. Now, I realize you come to church on Sunday and you get the what? It's my role, my responsibility as a pastor to give you the word. But it's your responsibility Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to get the word yourself. I'm not going to be there, knock on your door, to give you the word. And I'll tell you, it's not going to get any easier to get the word. In fact, it's going to get harder for you to get the word because there's so many things. Everything's speeding up in life. There's so much going on. We can be so distracted (coughs) from what is vital. And the word is vital to your existence, spiritually, physically, and mentally. Now, in Psalm 103, in verse 7, I want you to see something. It says, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Look at verse 7. He, or God, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. He made known his what to Moses? His ways. But his acts to the children of Israel. So, you know, (laughs) Israel saw the miracles, didn't they? They saw the splitting of the Red Sea, the manna coming down from heaven, you know, the water that came from the rock when Moses whacked it. But there is a a difference between Israel and Moses. Israel saw and experienced actions of God, but they didn't know him personally like Moses knew him. Moses spent time. Did he not go up on the mountain into the cloud, spend days, weeks in, in the presence of God? Israel knew God's acts, but Moses knew God personally. God knew, or Moses knew his heart and ways through intimate fellowship. Now, I began to think about that. <clears throat> Micah and, and my other son, Caleb, did not know my earthly father. My dad died of um, multiple myeloma when he was 62, 63 years old. My mother was almost a widow as long as she was married to my father, 30-some years, 35, 6 years. These, my sons, and it's a shame, and there's so many times Kathy and I have talked about how, I, how we wish they could have known their grandparents. 
But see, all Micah gets is he opens a book, and Kathy's put together. She's done a wonderful job putting together a history of the, uh, both sides of the family, and there are pictures and stories. And thank God for pictures and stories. You'll, you'll know what my dad looked like. You can see him as he was working, and he owned a shoe store, and, and uh, you can hear stories, and we've told stories about my dad. But they never really knew him. When my father was alive, people would drive from miles around to go to my father's shoe store so he could wait on their kids and fit their children. Why? Because my dad knew how to sell shoes and he knew how to properly fit shoes. They make fun of me at times because I say I need certain shoes. Well, I grew up programmed to buy good shoes, buy good footwear. But people, my father was known, and when I started to work as a young, young kid in my dad's store selling shoes, it bothered me because I'd go up to somebody and I'd say, can I help you? And they'd say, we want your dad. We want Elmer. His name was Elmer. We want Elmer to, to fit us. And I thought, you know, then there was another woman that had been there that was been there for years too, and they wanted her. And so what I, you know, I just stand in the background, but I made a little mental note. I'm thinking, boy, people really like my dad. They trust him with their kids. And then the old women had come in. I hope there's no old ladies here. Old women, I mean, the old what do you call them, um, school teachers that never married? School, what do you call them? Old, school marms. And there was a certain shoe called Miller Shoes, and they were an orthopedic shoe for old women, and my dad had just kissed their fanny, and he'd wait on them. And so you wonder where I get a lot of what I am. He would make sure they were happy, and oh, my God. But he built a business. He built a reputation. He was not only a, uh, owned a shoe store and was a salesman, but he was a community leader. He worked in the, he was head of the Chamber of Commerce once in a while. Um, he was a musician. He was a, uh, in the band in World War II, and he was, a pro he was almost professional in his ability to play, you know, instruments. And so everybody knew my dad, and when we had the funeral and my dad died, they filled that Methodist church. The Methodist church was packed. They had a balcony. It was packed. Why? Because Fairbury, Nebraska knew my father and respected him because of his business ethics, because of his good deeds. But this is what I want you to say to understand. They didn't know him. I knew him. Even though as a young man, and I was 20, 21 years old when he died, it was, it was a hard thing to lose your father. You wake up and he's dead in bed. It's just, it's a hard, difficult thing. But I knew him. I witnessed his sensitive and compassionate heart, his generous spirit, and in his latter years, his spiritual hunger. I've, I've told you the story how my, my sister is Catholic. 
but she was a born-again tongue talker. She, and she got filled with the Spirit through the Catholic Church. Well, my dad heard about this. This is back in the 70s, and he flew to Florida, and the priest prayed for him, and he got filled with the Spirit of God and spoke with tongues. Now, that was a special dispensation, an outpouring of God back then, the charismatic movement. But, you know, I knew him. Why? Because I spent time with him. I lived with him. And, yes, I saw the good. I saw the bad. I, you know, but I knew his heart. Look at Mark 3. And I'm so glad, you know, I, you don't, it's not scriptural to, to, to talk to the dead. Do you understand that? But I go, I do it like this. I'll say, Heavenly Father, dispatch an angel to my dad and give him this message. When I was working on this, and I said, tell him I still miss him. Tell him I love him and that I'll see him soon. And I believe that. I believe that angel was dispatched and gave him that message. I had a relationship with my dad. Was he perfect? No. Did he have problems? Yes. But he was a good dad. And in um, Scripture, Mark 3, and this is what I want you to see. I've got this highlighted in my Bible where Jesus called the 12 disciples. And it says, and he went up on the mountain, called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. And then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness, to cast out demons. Did they go out and preach? Did they have power? Did they heal sickness and cast out demons? But why? Because it says here, and I think this was so important, the Spirit of God had, had uh, um, the apostle pen it this way. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And many times in the walk of Jesus Christ when he was on the earth, he would call the disciples and they'd go to, a des to the desert or a to a quiet place and he'd spend time with them and he'd teach them. The acts of the apostles... Yeah, they're, they're exciting, and, you, and we, we, we enjoy hearing about the miracles. But the thing that is so important and so vital before they went out and did that, they spent time with the living Word of God. And that's what I want you to see this morning, how important it is to spend time with God. Let me see. It's devotional. If you can't even read this little devotional daily, you better go home, get on your knees. If this is all you're depending to live your life on by daily, this is the only word you're getting daily, shame on you. I don't know if I want to come back to this church. He's tough. If this is all you are depending on for your spiritual life, and you're not getting into the Word of God and opening the Bible, shame on you. 
you can't make it in these times just living your life through a devotional. And yeah, read it. Isn't it good? This thing that's been on, um, in fact, I read ahead. Your pattern sins. It, you'll locate yourself. So don't get me wrong. This is probably the finest devotional that's out there. But you just can't expect that. Go by that every day. It's not enough spiritual nourishment for you or for me. And I've got three devotionals. But I always read the devotional, but I read the Word too. There are some benefits, and I, I probably won't get them all today, but that's all right. Look at Psalm 119. Young people, if you're here today, this is a good passage of Scripture for you. Psalm 119. Now, I, I'm not here to chastise you or beat you up or just bring discouragement to you, but I want, to get, I'm a, want you to understand. I want it to dawn on you. I want you to do a spiritual checkup. How much word are you getting daily? In talking with Kathy, and Kathy was talking about that she says, I got to get a spiritual book, and she reads the Bible daily, but... You know, we all come to the point where we recognize we're kind of dry. We're just not too motivated spiritually. And all I've hear, heard people talk about lately is how tired they are. We talked about that. Yesterday, I go in and she says, I'm tired. I'm going to lay down. Well, that's not, she doesn't do that very often. So I went, I was out working. I wasn't tired. And I go in, and there she'd be laying. An hour later, I go in, she's still laying there. I wanted to see if she's still alive. You get tired physically. This weather, this humidity stinks, doesn't it? It makes you tired. And it's hard to, to, to get motivated to make yourself do some stuff. I was, for some reason last night, I got the weed eater, and I mowed the yard, and it was dark. But I thought, I got to make, I got to go while I got it. I got the energy, so I'm going to do it. And I'm out there squinting to make sure my lines I can mow. I got the backyard done, Kenny. But we, we can lose our motivation for the things of God and for spiritual things. Do you know sometimes when it's summer, you're just not as hungry? Your appetite. Well, it's that it can be that way in the spirit realm. You're just not you're just not spiritually hungry. And we need to be spiritually hungry. Look at this, Psalm 119. Verse 9. It says, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I've sought you, the psalmist says. Oh, let me not wonder from your commandments. Now look at verse eleven. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, when I was, this is going to be for the man because this applies to men, but it applies to everybody, no matter what age. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
The Message Bible says, I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't send myself bankrupt. That's good. I've banked your promises in the vault. What do you put in the vault, by the way? Valuables, treasure, things that are important. So I won't sin against myself or sin myself bankrupt. Now, the word in the Scripture, it says, I've hidden my heart. The word hide means to store up, to be treasured and be cherished. Do you treasure the Word of God today? Do you store it up? Do you cherish the Word of God? Now, I want you to... I don't want you to leave here crying. Say, oh, my God, what's the use? I want you to leave today just motivated. Do something to get more word into you. goes on, it says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I've declared all the judgments of your mouth. I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Now, do you hear that? He says, I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your words. It all comes down to your will. The psalmist says this, I will meditate. I will delight. I will not forget your word. We're all good, including the preacher. <clears throat> There's certain things I have no problem getting motivated. I like to work. I like to buy and sell. I like to create. We all have things in us like that. We've, we've got to make sure that, that we, we treasure the Word of God more than anything else. God the Father loves you. God the Father loves me. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to be creative. He wants us to be diligent workers. He wants us to be successful. But bottom line, we can't be happy and we can't be successful without the Word. And there's, there's times, and you know me, Ask my wife, I'm a goer. And there's sometimes I have to, it's a choice of my will, I have to make myself sit down, shut out everything around, not be distracted by other things, and make it a priority to get in the Word of God. And if, and there's, if I go days and I'm not in the Word as much, so I just say, Father, I'm sorry, I've missed it. I, I've got to come back to you. I, just as the disciples, the apostles spent time with Jesus before they went out to do kingdom business, you and I have to spend time with the Word of God, Jesus Christ. You know, he's, the, it tells us in Scripture, I found your Word. You've got to look for it. That's why I got more than one devotional. That's why you, you know, I read a psalm, I read a proverb, I, and the, the New Testament. You, you read, you're looking for a word. And some days, have you ever opened the word or opened the devotional? Think, my God, that was just for me. 
Well, you found it. Now chew on it. Meditate on it. Hide it in your heart. Treat it like treasure. If you and I desire to keep our hearts right, then we're going to make the word of God a priority in our life. And the result of this commitment, if you'll make that commitment, it will empower you. In fact, it tells you, the psalmist says, he put the word in his heart, and the result of that was, it keeps you free from sin. So, the more word, the less sin. The less word, more sin. It's that simple. Say, it keeps me from sin. The next one benefit is it'll, it'll cause you to obey. If you spend time in the Word, it's going to be easier to obey God. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? As a believer, your words and actions flow out of your love relationship with Jesus. As a believer, your words and actions flow out of your love relationship with Jesus. So if you spend time, more time with the Word and you spend more time in fellowship with Him, in worship and loving Him, your words and actions will line up with the will of God. Are you getting that? The man or woman that lives according to the word of God daily and truly hides his word in his heart is more likely to walk in obedience. See, the more time you spend with God and talk to God and fellowship with him and just love on him in private in your own prayer room or wherever you go, the more time you spend with him, the more you're going to want to please him. Now, when I was young, I did some things I shouldn't have done. Um, and I, I, I can remember, though, and Kathy was the same way. She grew up, and she was ornery. She was ornerier than I was. In fact, she treated her teachers worse than I ever would have dreamed of teaching, treating my teachers. Only the bad ones. You discerned the good and bad, but you made it hell on the bad ones. In fact, to the point where they were chasing her to the office. But as a young person growing up, I loved my parents. And yeah, I was ornery. And I, I love to, you know, we just did things when we were young. Some of you were young once. But in the back of my mind, I never wanted to do anything that would hurt my folks. And I did some things they didn't know about. But I would always stop and think, what would mom and dad think? They had a business in the community. I didn't want to bring any reproach upon them. I didn't want to grieve them or have them be ashamed of me. And that little voice back there is called conscience. 
And a lot of times that kept me from getting into trouble. And I got and did some things, like I said, they didn't know about. But I had a conscience. I didn't want to hurt my parents. And see, bottom line, you know, I lived with them. I knew them. I knew their spirit. They were good people. They were a good mom and dad. I didn't want to hurt them. And the thing is, if you'll just spend time with your heavenly father, and yeah, there's times you don't feel like opening the book, just get alone with God, open the book and read one scripture. Don't have to read a paragraph. Sometimes you don't have to read 10 chapters. Find one scripture and meditate on it and chew on it and reflect on it and get the word in you. And you'll appreciate your creator. You'll appreciate your heavenly father. And you won't want to hurt him. It'll keep you from sinning. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. When God, now listen to this statement, when God becomes a man's treasure, that man's heart will be captured by his word. This is the kind of man or woman that our Heavenly Father is seeking after. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unhook there, and we're going to close. I'm going to read to you a couple. This is, this is a meaty book. It's by E.W. Kenyon, and it's, and it's on the word. The first chapter is entitled The Living Word. He says, Our attitude toward the word determines the place that God holds in our daily life. Our attitude towards the word. So if your attitude is indifferent, what does that say? What's that say when your attitude is indifferent? It says, I really don't care about the word of God. The word should always be the father speaking to us. It should never be like a message from an ordinary book. It should be as real to you as though the master stood in the room and spoke to you personally. This word was designed by the Father to take the place of Jesus in his absence. When he says the Father himself loves you, it is a personal message to your heart. Now this this is hard to comprehend, but God the Father loves you. He loves me as much as his own son, Jesus Christ. When the master said again, if a man loves me, he will keep my word and the father and I will love him and make our home with him. That should be as personal as though you were the only one in the world. It's as though you were sitting at the feet of Jesus and he looked down into your face and said, the father and I will come and make our home with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. I'm your God. I'll, I'll bring you strength. When weakness comes, remember that I am the strength of your life. When you have need of finances, remember the the word that says, My God shall supply all of your need. Man's word is usually dead before the printer has finished his work. Few words of man live after a generation, but God's word is different. It is impregnated with the very life of God. It is eternal. He says, and he quotes Hebrews 4, 
Moffat's translation, for the logos or the word of God is a living thing, active, more cutting than any sword with a double edge, penetrating to the very division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, scrutinizing the very thoughts and conceptions of the heart. No created thing is hidden from him. All things lie open and exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to reckon. This is one of the strangest statements about the word in Paul's epistles. Notice in the 13th verse, that no created thing is hidden from him. Now listen closely. Don't let this fly over your head. Of whom he is speaking, the living word, the logos. And all things lie open and exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word takes on personality. It becomes Christ himself. Our contact with the master then is through his word. And did you notice the eyes of him? The word then has eyes. It sees our conduct, our attitude toward it, towards it. It is a living thing. Well, Jesus is the what? Word. How deeply that should impress us. I hold in my hands a book with the very life of God in it, a book that scrutinizes my conduct and judges me. A book that feeds my inner man, my spirit. It imparts faith to my spirit. It builds love into it. God's only means, now listen to this. God's only means of reaching me is through his word. God's only means of reaching you is through his word. So the word becomes a vital thing. We become Christ-like in the measure that the Word prevails in us. The Word is Christ revealed. The Word is God present with us, speaking the living message of the living Father God. The Word is always now. It is His Word to me today. It has His voice, His last message. It becomes a living thing in my heart as I lovingly act upon it. It becomes a living thing on the lips of love. It has no power on the lips of those whose lives are out of fellowship with Him, who live in the reason realm. I could go on and on and on and on. Let's stand our feet. I'm going to unhook today because... I, I, I don't want to say too much, but I, I just pray that as the Spirit of God dealt with me, He also will deal with you. Now, for, before we go on and, and we pray or do anything, let me see the hands of everyone here today. Is Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, your personal Lord and Savior? Let me see your hands. Do you know, have Jesus in your heart? You have Jesus in your heart. Okay, good. Put your hands down. You know something? We got Carol's dad here. You got a good girl there. Do you know that? She's a good one. He's in the Stanton nursing home now. So she said maybe he'll come to church if I don't preach too long. So I, I told him today I'd cut it short. How many of you here today beside the preacher realize you're not getting enough word? Don't be ashamed of it. Okay. Every hand should be up. So what do we do? Well, let's just make a correction. Let's just make some adjustments in our life and our attitude.
as you start this week, start this week recognizing that the word of God is alive and you need it. It's a lamp to your feet, a light onto your path. It's your life. Your very existence depends upon it. So let's pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I recognize I need more of your word. Father, forgive me for not discerning that your word is vital. It's important. It's my life's existence. I need more of you. Holy Spirit, help me. Teach me. I thank you today. This week, I will treasure your word within my heart. I'll fill my heart with your word. I'll renew my mind with the living word of God. I receive it today in Jesus' name. Now, the word is life and health and medicine to all of your flesh. So today, let's, let's make this week, let's all in our own way start tomorrow and say, Holy Spirit, show me a, a, another way to get the word in me, whether it's listening to a CD whether it's spending more time in, in the Word, let's, let's do something. Let's do something and make sure we do that. Then we'll pick up next week where we left off. Is anyone here you need prayer for your physical body? I'll pray for you if you're sick today. If we don't get more Word, we will all be sick. You've got to get more word. Amen. Can I pray for you today? What's his name? Frank? Can I just pray for you? Preacher, pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, that you love Frank. You've given him a good family and a new home. I'm asking that you strengthen him this week. Bring peace to his spirit, his mind, will, and emotions. Father, I thank you, Lord, that Frank this week experienced your goodness and your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I'm hungry for the word, say it. I'm hungry for the word. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.